0: Hey, welcome uh, to River Ridge, so glad that you're here. You all look very refreshed, everybody got an extra hour of sleep, so time change. How many used it to sleep a little bit longer today, got an extra hour? A couple people. How many of you said, hey, I'm going to watch a little TV, catch up on Netflix? How many of you did something that you shouldn't mention in church? You can fill in your own blank on that one, I'm not sure where that's going. Hey, I am so glad that you're here, and I tell you, last week uh, at River Ridge was an absolutely... Awesome Sunday to be here we baptized eight people uh, and each of them shared the story of how God changed their lives and it's just it's exciting to be a part of a church where God is doing tremendous stuff like that and then we uh, last Sunday night we had a night of worship and prayer and a bunch of people gathered here just to pray for our city and pray for our church and that was awesome uh, and then many of you it seemed like it was about two hundred people every day joined in uh, and praying for our church our Uh, community and then the world uh, over the course of last week on Facebook uh, and chiming in there. And so that was just awesome. And I I love that we are a church that is growing in how we pray, and I pray that that continues to grow. Last week, if you missed the message, I'd really encourage you to listen to it online or watch it online, uh, because I shared uh, part of the vision about where God is taking us. And uh, one of the things that I did we did is we gave out these chip clips, would say 130K on them, or 130 K on. There are 130,000 people. Um, and if you didn't get one, you can grab one at the welcome desk this morning. Uh, we've got lots of them out there for you. But basically, the idea is to remind us to pray, because there are 130,000 people in our community who are disconnected from God, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't go to church, and we want to be praying for them, and we want to love them in practical ways, and we want to invite them to hear the gospel. And on here, there's a verse that says, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which says, we are delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And that we want to share our lives and share love and invite people to hear the gospel. And that's our strategy for how God is using and positioning River Ridge Church to reach our community. So if you didn't grab, get one, grab one of these and listen to the message uh, online. And then one more thing that we talked about last week. We unrolled something new, uh, which is called Facebook Groups. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Facebook groups, they're basically a group of people uh, kind of connected online through Facebook that have a, a shared affinity and a shared discussion forum. Um, and so we unveiled seven of those last week. Uh, so here's a list of them, actually. So if you want to discuss the sermon, so there'll be some posts about that and interact about what did you learn from the sermon. Married people, uh, single adults, Uh, young adults, and then we also have, if you have kids, we've got some discussion groups to equip and encourage each other uh, for those of us with kids in kind of similar life phases. So you can get in on one of those or a whole bunch of those, however you want to do that, but encourage you to get involved with the discussion because we really believe that that's going to help us to encourage one another, but also help us to form community online, which is going to lead to in-person relationships and friendships. So excited about where God has taken us. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for this morning, uh, for the worship, Lord, and, and just for the opportunity to pause and to take communion and to reflect and just to be still in your presence and what a, a gift that is. And God, as we uh, move into the message this morning, I pray that you would give me the words to say uh, and that you would help us to see ourselves in the scripture, help us to be honest with who we are and where we are in relationship to you and in relationship to other people. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 if you want to turn there. Uh, But before we get there, uh, so I grew up and I dreamed when I was a kid about growing up and what it would be like if I was rich instead of the kid that I was. I was like, what would it be like if I was rich? And one of the things that I thought that I would love to do if if our family was rich is that we uh, vacationed in Michigan and my grandmother owned a cottage in Michigan on a lake. And I thought it would be so cool because we lived in Cincinnati, if a seaplane could pick us up on the Ohio River and fly us and just land us at the dock up there instead of like me and my brother and sister like in the back of a Suburban for like what seemed like 40 hours on the trip. I'm like That would be awesome. But we weren't rich, so we drove up in our Suburban and back in our Suburban every summer. And then I thought, you know what else I would love to do if I was rich? And this was a little bit of something going on in my era that you may remember this if you've seen old commercials, um, but there was uh, a mustard can- that was called Grey Poupon, right? Grey Poupon. And, and so there was this commercial where there's a guy in a limousine, and he, he rolls down his window, and there's a guy in a limousine next to him, and he says to the guy in the limousine next to him, he says, excuse me, sir, do you have any Grey Poupon? And the guy responded... But of course, and then they passed the Grey Poupon back and forth between the limo. And I thought, I would love to be rich like that, to have a limo drive me around and eat Grey Poupon mustard. That would be awesome, right? And so, but we didn't have a limo. My dad had like a 1974 Vega. So I would roll down the back window and say to like anybody who was next to me, excuse me, do you have any Grey Poupon? That was me, whether I knew him or not, that was me pretending to be rich, Um, but here's the, there's one more thing that in my mind, like, if we were rich, I would have loved this. So in my little town, everybody who's like 14 to 15 years old rode what are called mopeds. And these are these little, they're basically a bike that you pedal, and then when you get fast enough, you, click, you kind of pull a little lever here, and then it, it fires up a motor, and these things go like super fast, like 26 miles an hour all around town. And so... There were kids, a bunch of my kids in our uh, like little area of town had these, uh, and I, I had one, but there was one which was called a pook moped, and I wanted a pook moped so bad. Here's actually a picture. I mean, that is a beauty right there. I mean, that is absolutely gorgeous. It looked like a motorcycle, um, but we didn't have one because we weren't rich like the rich kids that could afford pook mopeds. Um, but I, and I talked to my parents about this. I'm like, Mom and Dad, I, I need one of those poop mopeds. And they said, no, you're getting a Murray. I'm like, who wants a... Who, who, nobody's ever heard of a Murray moped, right? But they did say, you know, Matt, the Murray engine was actually made in the poop factory. I'm like, that doesn't count. I want a poop. I mean, that thing is awesome looking. It's like a motorcycle, but I didn't get it because we weren't rich. So the thing is, I didn't feel rich. And my guess is that most of you don't feel rich. But we're in this series titled, Be Rich. And so what is this series going to be about? Are we going to talk about how do we get lots of money? It's going to be, you put a dollar in the offer and pray and God will give you 10. We'll do, that's not going to be that kind of series, right? What we're talking about is how do we live richly? How do we be rich in relationship to our money, in relationship to our possessions, in relationship to our time, in relationship to this? resources that we have? How do we live richly? And even how does that have a ripple effect on the relationships around us? And so we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. And we'll be in this passage uh, today, but we'll also come back to this for each of the next three messages in this series. But it says this, just to read the very first couple phrases. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them. And then Paul is going to continue to write to Timothy. Now, this um, letter is a little bit different than the other letters in the New Testament. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written from Paul or from somebody else, and it is a letter that is written to a church. So, uh, Galatians is written to the church at Galatia or Romans is to all the people who live in the city of Rome. That's generally the way that they worked. But this one is written from Paul to Timothy. And so Timothy had a role of pastoring churches and leading people. And so what this letter is doing is Paul is saying Paul is saying to Timothy, this is how you need to lead. And this is the things that you can teach or that you need to teach to the people who are under your pastoral leadership. And so in this, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, or your translation may actually say teach them, to the people who are rich, here's what you need to teach them. Because as you come across people in the pastoring of churches, you're going to come across people who are rich. And this is what you need to say to them. Now, at this point, as we're reading through this, a lot of us, I think, would naturally go, well, I'm not rich. I don't have a ton of money, so this isn't really for me. I'll just skip down to verse 20 or wherever it is that he talks about something else. But here's the thing, is how do you define what is rich? Because depending on where you're coming from, rich always seems to be a step away from wherever you are there there were some surveys done about this and they asked people who earned $30,000 a year they asked the question they say what amount would it take for you to earn per year to be rich they asked those people and they on average said $75,000 if i earned i earned 30 but if i made 75 then i would be rich and in the same survey they asked people who earned $50,000 well if you earned $50,000 how much would it take for you to be rich and those people didn't say 75,000 they said 100000 And then in a different way, they asked this question. They asked this question of people who, had, who earned $250,000 a year. Right? They said, okay, what would it take in total assets for you to be rich? You know what their answer was? $5 million. So if you earn $250,000, you need $5 million in assets in order to think that you're rich or to feel rich. Well, then you wonder, what about the uber-rich? Like, the people who really are, like, they've got $10 million or $100 million or, you know, $27 million, the million, like, what about those people? Those people certainly go, I'm rich, I have enough. So this week, I was uh, uh, online a little bit and watching a YouTube video, and many of you know that Kanye West dropped an album about a a week ago, uh, his kind of Christian album, and so he's been interviewed and different stuff, and so... There was a, a video that you guys don't know who James Corden is. He does late night TV stuff, and he's pretty funny. He does this thing called carpool karaoke, where he'll sit in a car and they'll listen to music, and he'll ask him questions. So with Kanye, he does airplane karaoke. He's like, "Hey, can I uh, get a ride on your airplane to?" I think it was Los Angeles. It was where they're going. But there's this really interesting interaction where Kanye and James Corden are having this um, discussion about. kind of life and money and that type of thing. And he, they they, the the band sings or the the choir sings. um, But then at one point, Kanye begins to talk about his life earlier. He says, you know, there was a year where I made 130, excuse me, let me get my numbers. He says, I made $115 million. But at the end of that year, I ended up $35 million in debt. And for us, like, ugh, that blows our mind. Like, how do you, I wouldn't know what to spend $115 million on, much less what he actually spent was $150 million. So even an uber-rich guy goes, well, I'm not rich. What I really need to live on is 170 million or $200 million or whatever that figure is. And so we look at people who are rich, who are uber-rich, and we go, man, people who are rich, like, they do some crazy things. Like, think about the weird stuff that rich people do. Like, there's some rich people who are so rich, they have entire rooms in their house that are set apart for stuff that they're storing. Like, an entire room just to store stuff that they don't use, right? And they call it a basement <laughs> or an attic. I'm like, oh my goodness, could you imagine, right? And there's some people who are so rich that they have a whole Room in their house for their clothes. What? Yeah, and some of those are so rich, they like the husband's clothes are in this closet and the men's clothes are in that room. It's like, wow, those people are rich. You know, and there's other people that are so rich that they have a room off their house that's just for their car. I mean, could you imagine having a room just for your car? And they don't want their car to get cold, so they make sure it's heated in the winter. And they don't want their car to get too hot, so they cool it in the summer. Like, those people are rich. Like, the rich people do weird stuff, don't they? Or, like, I've heard of rich people doing this. I mean, imagine this. That they have a car that they drive, and the car works perfectly well. No problems at all with the car. And they drive it to some guy who has a lot of cars. And they give him the car, and then they give him like $20,000, and they drive away with a car that does the exact same thing. It's just a little bit nicer. I'm like, man, rich people are weird, right? Okay, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. Hopefully you're seeing that. You don't need to send me emails that say, you know, like, this is why heated car garage is better. I don't, you don't need to send me those. If you do, my name is Betsy Shock. It's Shock at Riverridge.org. Just send me all the hate email you want. But here's the thing, I'm gonna give you some good news and some bad news. How many of you are for good or bad news? How many of you are good news people? You like the good news first? Raise your hand, give me the good news. A few people. And how many of you are bad news? Give me the bad news first. Okay, I think we have more bad news people. Well, I wrote the outline, so we're doing good news first, so <laughs> tough on you. Here's the good news. You ready? You're rich. Nobody applauded, nobody celebrated. At least write down, you are rich. You see, when I said that, nobody jumped out of their seat going, yay, I'm rich! Somebody finally told me. Because all of us go, no, I'm not rich. People who have more than I do are rich. But here's the thing. Statistically, if you have a household income of $45,000 or more, you are rich. I would even say you're uber rich. That you are in the top 1% of people all over the world, if you make more than $45,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. Now, some of you go, well, I'm good. I'm not rich. I earn less than $45,000 a year. If you have indoor plumbing, and I won't make you raise your hand if you don't, but you have indoor plumbing, you are in the top half of wealth in the world. We are rich. Now, I recognize that there may be some exceptions and people have struggles and you've got medical bills that are way beyond your control or you're a single mom and you've got a couple of jobs just trying to make ends meet. I understand that. But by and large, the people in this room, we are rich by comparison. We are in, most of us in the top 1%, maybe in the top 5%, percent would probably get everybody. Now, the message this morning and where we're going for this series, this is not a guilt message. And I promise you, this is not like, okay, I'm talking about how rich you are, and we're going to pass the offering plate, and I expect you to empty out your wallets or put your shoes in there or whatever. It, we're not going to do that, right? But what we are going to do is we're going to talk about what does it mean to be rich and what are the implications of being rich. This is the first thing I want us to understand. This is um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says this. It says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So that's the good news, is that God gave you the resources, the money, the stuff, the talents, the time that you have, and he wants you to enjoy it. You do not need to walk around feeling guilty because you are in the top 1%. It says to enjoy it. Solomon put it this way. says, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work. This is a gift of God. It's from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The gift of God is that you have possessions to enjoy. God has given you those. That's the good news. Good news, bad news. Here's the bad news. Are you ready for this? Here's the bad news. You can write this down. You're rich. There it is. You're rich. See, here's the thing about being rich, and it is good news, and it's also bad news because it carries with it some difficulties. But here's the thing: is in life, when we have something, people teach us about it, right? So you you're rich, but chances are, no one has ever come alongside you and said, "Because you're rich, let me teach you some things. Let me tell you some things that you need to understand because you are rich, because you're wealthy." That doesn't happen. But here we have Paul saying to Timothy, tell people who are rich, teach people who are rich, this is how you're to live. But you know, it's interesting, we do it in all different other aspects of life. I mean, if you have a child who is an athletic prodigy, just a phenomenal athlete, you're going to teach that child, here's how you hit a baseball, here's how you kick a soccer ball, here's how you catch a football, here's how you dive, whatever it is, whatever sport, that you're going to take that talent and say, man, you're in the top 1%. We need to teach you how to use this. Or the same if you have a child, or maybe this was you, and you are just incredibly smart. Somebody comes alongside of you and says, you are smart. You have a gift. Here's how you utilize the gift of smarts, of brains that you have. And teachers and parents and people come around and help that. But we don't hear that very much. As far as you're rich, here's how to live richly. And so that's what this series is about. But here's the thing, as I said, it's bad news that we're rich because when we're rich, there are problems that we face because we're rich that other people don't face, that are unique to people who have means. And so we're going to talk about four of those problems that we see in the rest of these verses. So we're going to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, And there's a little phrase in there that says this, and teach them or charge them not to be haughty. Not to be haughty. Or another synonym is prideful. So here's the first problem that we face because we're rich, is it's easier to be prideful. Now, just so you know, each of these that we talk about, these are generally true. This is not saying because you're rich, you're prideful. All it's saying is, All I'm saying and all this is saying is because you have wealth, it is easier to be prideful. That doesn't mean we have to be prideful, or that we are. It's just easier to become prideful. And if you think about it, everybody who has money has earned it. Or, I mean, there's a few trust fund babies and stuff like that, but pretty much if you have money, you have earned it or you have done enough sensible things to keep it if it was given to you. You know, if you're, you know, say, for example, a doctor, right? A doctor goes through four years of medical school or four years of college, four years of medical school, and then however many years of residency, and then they have earnings, right? Or you take a, uh, an engineer, you go through college, you get an internship, you become an engineer, you design things, you've worked hard, and then you make money. Or you're a teacher, you go through college, and, you know, all these things, we look at any profession, Or even a businessman who, you know, you start from the ground up, you've worked hard to build this business from nothing, right? You go, okay, if you have wealth, you earned it in some way. And so because of that, it is very easy to become prideful and say, I am where I am because I've worked hard. And it can be even a comparison thing. I look at that guy who's not doing well, well, he doesn't work hard. He doesn't have a good work ethic. He, whatever, she, does whatever. But here's the thing. Again, it's just it's not that we have to be prideful, but it's easier to be prideful. Because think about this if you take a step back from your life and how you got where you are, whatever socio, whatever economic level you're at, how much of it is based on you or how much of it was given to you? Because here's the thing did any of you have anything to do with where you were born? No, none of us were born in the slums of Mumbai. Did any of you have anything to do with the parents and the family that you were born into? You had nothing to do with that, right? Did any of you, did any of me, did any of us have anything to do with the IQ that we were given, that we were born with? No. I mean, whatever your IQ is, whether you know it or not, but if you were to drop your IQ by 20 points, would you be where you are financially? You wouldn't be. You'd be in a different place. And so again, the idea is that we need to say, hey, it's just it's easier to be prideful when I have money. Don't be haughty. With each of these problems, I'm going to give you an antidote. So here's the antidote to pride. It's very simple. It's thankfulness. Be thankful, be grateful for all that you have and all that you are. I love how Craig Grischel puts this. He says this, he's an author and pastor. He says, every blessing that we don't turn into praise has the ability to turn into pride. Everything that we don't turn around and say, God, thank you for this, it is a blessing, has the opportunity or ability to turn into something that is prideful for us. All right, let's look at the second problem. This is, again, in verse 17, and it says this. It says, don't be haughty, and then it says, be careful to set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly dwells or richly provides everything for us to enjoy. So it's saying we don't want to set our hope on riches. And so this one, so it's going to go easier, harder, easier, harder. It is harder to trust God when you're wealthy. It's just easier to trust God when you don't have much. It's harder to trust God when you're wealthier. And here's kind of, kind of as we look at that, I say, well, does that really work out? Um, so each year I go to Kenya, and I spend about 10 or 12 days in Kenya. I'll go again in July. Love to have you join me if you're interested in that. Um, but one of the things I see when I go to Kenya, if you talk to Betsy Schock about her time in Haiti or Bruce Moore about his time in Moldova, all three of us would say the same thing, or anybody that's been, is that in those countries, the Christians just have a deeper, richer faith. They, they just do. And part of that is because they don't have wealth. It's harder to trust God when you're wealthy. You know, think about how many times have you, well, let me put it this way. The Lord's Prayer, right? You've probably said the Lord's Prayer, you know. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. And it says, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Everybody knows that, right? Almost everybody said that. Has anybody ever prayed that other than in the Lord's prayer? No. I don't need to pray for my daily bread because I know that it's in the cupboard or the refrigerator or Kroger because I can go get it. We don't have to pray for that. Again, it just makes it harder to trust God because we have the means. And so here's the antidote, is that we need to look for ways to trust God That our wealth won't rescue us. It doesn't matter how much money we have, it can't rescue us from risk or taking kind of steps of faith, of trusting God. You know, for example, if you step out in faith and you have a spiritual conversation with somebody, like it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you get stumped on a question that they ask you, you don't know the answer. If you're going to have a conversation with somebody who you're reaching out to about Jesus' It's always going to take a little bit of courage to get over that hump and go, I'm going to ask this question, and it might be awkward. Or it might cost me the friendship, or it might go weird. But, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. That's still going to take that step of faith. Or let's say you think about, like, volunteering. Like, let's say you're saying, I'm going to volunteer with four-year-olds in, in preschool, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have. Boogers are still going to get on you, right? It's just going to happen. Right? It doesn't matter how much money you have, if you don't come to that class prepared and understand what's going on, those four-year-olds are going to eat your lunch, right? So the antidote of this is we need to do things that cause us to trust God where money can't rescue us, where money can't come to our rescue. Here's the next problem that rich people face. It's easier to get distracted, And here's what I mean by that. When we have more money, we have more options. It's just a fact of life. If you have more money, the more money you have, the more options that you have. And the more options that you have, the easier it is to get distracted. There's a parable that Jesus tells, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but he tells this parable where there's a guy scattering seed, and some fell on the path, and some fell on the rocky soil, and some fell among the thorns, and some fell on good soil. And Jesus says this comment about the the seed that falls on the soil that has thorns in it. And he says this. It says others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Saying that when you have wealth, it just has the ability to kind of choke out your faith. It has the ability to get you distracted from what God wants you to be focused on. And again, this doesn't mean that being rich means you have to be distracted. It just means it's more likely that we get distracted. Because here's the thing is the the chief competitor for your soul, the chief competitor for your soul is not the church of Satan. You know, it's not like anybody woke up this morning and go, River Ridge or the satanic cult that meets in the woods? Nobody made that decision this morning, I don't think, right? The decision you made today to come to church was I'm gonna to go to church instead of any of these other things that I could have done that I could have spent money on to go and to be a part of, right? And so if you think about it this way, I'll give you kind of an analogy and don't take this too far, illustration, don't take this too far. But if you have wealth, you have options about what you can do on your Sundays, right? So if you have wealth, if you have money, you can put your kids in travel soccer or travel hockey or you know, travel dance or cheerleading or whatever, and you can be gone out somewhere and then you're not at church on Sunday, right? Or if you have money, you can go spend the weekend at Canaan Valley or in Washington, D.C. Or if you have money, you can go up to Morgantown for a weekend of football and hanging out and you're not in church. Or if you have money, you can, in the summers, you can play golf on a Sunday morning, or tennis, or go fishing. Or on any Sunday, if you have money, you can go out to eat, which is a luxury that we have, and you're not in church on Sunday morning. Now, And I'm not, and understand what I'm saying, I'm not saying that being at church is the ultimate expression of whether you have faith or not. I'm not saying that. But what I want us to see is when we have means it creates options, which create the potential of distraction, and that we who are rich need to be aware of that. Here's the antidote: the antidote to distraction is priority and intentionality. Priority and intentionality. Instead of just wandering off wherever our money takes us or whatever we want to do, any of that stuff. Instead, of just wandering off, we say, "This is the priority that I have." This is the intentionality that I have about my relationship with God, about our family and being before God. Give you one more. This is in verse 18. It says, they, again, the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, So sort of a play on words there, to be generous and ready to share. See, here's the next problem for those of us who are rich. It's harder to honor God. It's harder to honor God. And let me give you a non-spiritual example, and then I'll give you a spiritual example. Let's say that you have a child, say a five-year-old child, and you say to your son or your daughter, "Hey, the the living room, the family room is kind of messy. I would like you to clean it up." And so the child goes in there, and they, you know, maybe they take some plates into the kitchen and they pick up some things. But you know, a five-year-old is not going to do a great job. You know, they may leave a wrapper, or they may leave a sock or something like that, or they may miss something. You know, And you would come back and you'd say to the five-year-old, you'd say, yep, you did a pretty good job, good job, right? Now, imagine that you have now a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old and you, or a 41-year-old husband, right? And you say to that child or husband that acts like a child, um, and you say, would you clean up the living room? Would you clean up the, the family room? And they go in the, and they clean it up. But if after they finish, if it looks like the same way it did after the five-year-old, you wouldn't say hey, good job, you're really really proud of you, you did great with that. You would expect a higher, you would have higher expectations of a 12-year-old than you would of a 5-year-old. And so, and again, it's sort of the, that's the honoring the parent thing. If we take honoring God, what we see time and time again throughout the Scripture is that those who have more, God expects more out of them. To those who have been given, much is expected. And we see this in all different ways. Here's one of the ways that Jesus says it. It's kind of at the conclusion of a parable. He says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him who they entrusted much, they will demand more. So those who are given more, whether it be money or time or abilities or skills or resources, God expects more out of that, out of that person. And so because of that, it's harder to honor God because God has a higher expectation I'll give you kind of a financial example. Uh, So when I graduated from college, my first real job is I earned $1,000 a month. And so I would tithe on that, and so I got $1,000, and I would give $100 to God's work, right? And I think that was honoring to God, to give that first 10% back to God's work. Well, in life now, I make more than $1,000 a month. If I were to still be giving $100 a month, or only $100 a month to God's work, I don't think that God would look at my life and say, man, you're really honoring me with your money. He would have higher expectations because he has blessed me with more. Now, the antidote to this last one of honoring God, we're actually going to kind of save that and bring this back next week as we tie this in to next week. So I want to close with this question. When you drive home with your kids or you meet somebody after church from some other church or a family member or whatever, what question often gets tossed around? Hey, what'd you learn at church today? Right? So you'll ask your kids, hey, what'd you learn at church? And then if your kids are little, they say, what'd you learn at church, mom or dad? Or what'd you learn at church when you go? And what are you going to answer when somebody asks you that question today? What'd you learn at church today? I'm rich. Like That's just awkward. That's not going to fly well. So what are you going to say? And this is what I would say if I were you and if I get asked this question, what did you learn in church or what did you teach about in church, right? What did you learn? And it's this, is that I am richly blessed by God and because of that, I wanna be a blessing to others. And we'll pick up on that theme next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning uh, and just the opportunity that we have to be with you, to hear from you, to learn from you. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to live richly in relationship with you, in relationship to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.